almost 400 years ago, an English poet named John Milton began to conceive what he wanted to be, what he hoped to be the greatest epic in the English language. He ended up titling it Paradise Lost. Some of you may have read it. And his subject matter for Paradise Lost was God's perfect design for mankind and the subsequent fall from grace. It's the story of Adam and Eve. And tied up with our fall was another fall, the, the earlier fall of Satan and the rebel angels. Satan who became our seducer, our deceiver. And in exchange, in exchange for life, life with God, in exchange for harmonious relationships, meaningful work, joyous delight in daily learning the things of God, growing in the knowledge of who He is and how He'd made the world. In exchange for all that goodness, Satan gave Adam and Eve a bargain. He would give them self-rule. He would give them his own mindset. In a revealing moment uh, early in that epic, it's just after the rebel angels have been cast down to earth from the heavens, Milton zooms in on Satan. Satan's talking to himself. He does that a lot in Paradise Lost. He's, he's surveying the scene. He's looking at hell and he's trying to rally himself and he says, to reign is worth ambition, though in hell. Better to reign in hell than serve in heaven. That's his filter for everything. To reign, to decide for oneself, to be in charge, to be your own captain, to have no one to tell you what to do, no other guide and to serve no one else. That's worth any outcome, even everlasting misery. That's his outlook. And that was his gift to Adam and Eve. That was his offer. And that's his offer still, to reign. Well, undoing that perspective, undoing it, unraveling those consequences, and restoring the perfect design was the mission of the Lord Jesus that he undertook on behalf of us rebel humans who had gone for the bargain. And breaking that power, bringing back life, light, the good design. That has been the story of John's gospel that we've been walking through this summer. And in our walk through the gospel, we've come to the edge of the redemption moment, the great work, to the night before the Lord Jesus went to death as our representative sacrifice. And on that night, the Lord Jesus spoke about what he was doing. He spoke about what was going on there, about what was being undone and what was being restored. And not least was a new lens on the world the original lens and hearts restored to his design. So let's go in there. We're in John chapter 13. 
beginning in verse 1, on the edge of the redemptive work. And the apostle begins to recount that night. And he sets the moment within the great cosmic significance, within what was unfolding. He says, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that the hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. That word is telos. He loved them to the fulfillment to the ultimate object of his love. He loved them to the completion that love can have. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things, put all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper. That is, with full consciousness of who he is, of his divinity, of his might, with full consciousness of his power, he laid aside his outer garments. And he took a towel and tied it around his waist with full consciousness that he received the adoration of the mightiest beings in creation with full consciousness that the angels adored him and bowed before him. He took a towel. And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a the towel that was wrapped around him. It is an astonishing act. John doesn't let us just brush over the astonishment of it. Because of the church calendar, we are very accustomed to looking at this and thinking about this moment in Holy Week. It's part of our Holy Week remembrance. It's, it's in, in anticipation of Good Friday. This is our Maundy Thursday passage. That's right. We should do that. We should have that yearly remembrance. That is the frame of reference for the moment. That's how John thinks about it. That's how John links it. There's also something that had immediately preceded this that Jesus takes a moment to push against and it doesn't generally come into our Maundy Thursday reflections. It's something that he sets his life-giving death against. Luke relates. So we bring in Luke's, which is Peter's perspective. Chapter 22, verse 24 and following, at that last supper, a dispute had arisen at the table. It arose among the disciples as to which of them, Luke says, should be considered the greatest. They're sitting at the Passover meal and they begin to argue about which of them is the awesomest. Luke focuses then, uh, Luke, Luke's attention's on what Jesus said to stop that foolishness. He gives his words. He said, don't act like the nations. This is what the nations do. They jockey for position. Let the one who is greatest among you be as the youngest. 
and the one who governs be as one who serves. For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Isn't it the one who sits at table? Yet I am among you as one who serves. And then from John, we get this. Then he stood up and then he put a towel around his waist and he performed an action that was usually given to the youngest, the washing of the feet. It's an action given to a servant, if there was a servant. So taking the gospels together, we see that in addition to a rebuke with words, Jesus taught them with an act. And that's, that is the, the presenting movement for why he does this act. And the disciples didn't like it. It made them uncomfortable. He is their teacher and Lord, and he shouldn't be doing this. A very awkward situation. Peter, speaking for the others, tries to present, prevent it. But Jesus says in verse 7, What I'm doing, you don't understand now, but you will afterward. And then further, if I don't wash you, you have no part in me. We know now what he meant. If I don't wash you, you have no part in me. The disciples were soon to learn it later that week. We can't wash ourselves. We can't cleanse our own hearts. We can't purify our own souls. We can't do spiritual work on ourselves. In all that concerns our spiritual identity, in all that concerns our standing before a holy God, we are powerless. There is nothing we can do. We cannot wash ourselves. And so unless I wash you, Jesus says, you can have no part in me. No matter how good of a firstborn child you are, no matter how well you follow the rules, Unless I wash you, you can have no part in me. He pushes it farther. The Almighty God must serve you. This, this task of soul cleansing, cleaning away the filth of sin, scrubbing away the stains of darkness, we cannot do that for ourselves like a baby that can't feed itself, a baby that can't change its diapers. We are dependent on the actions of another, one far greater than us. This is the shocking bit. For God, it means being in our filth. means our embarrassment, means our exposure, complete exposure. So not, not only must we accept the obvious reality that the Almighty God sees everything, He sees all that we have done, we, not only do we have to accept that, but He willingly puts His hands on us. He puts His holy hands on our filth foul as we are, foul I to the fountain fly, 
Wash me, Savior, or I die. The Holy One must touch that in us. Well, accepting this means not only the cleansing of our souls, because if He does wash us, we do have part in Him. That, that's the implication. If I wash you, you are clean. Not only does accepting this, His work mean cleansing our souls, it also means the undoing of the deep story. And the apostles couldn't at that moment understand the import of, of, of the washing. But Jesus explains here, that he gives them the new mindset that was to be theirs later. Yes, they didn't understand it. But he goes ahead and he tells them, this is the mindset that you're going to have once he had washed their souls. Verse 14 and following, If I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, if I've done this unthinkable, socially unacceptable act, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Very truly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If I have done these things, you do them too. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. The doing of this brings blessing. We know that they cannot do the soul washing that this act signified. He's already said, we know that. So he's not telling them, you also must become soul washers. You also must have the power to cleanse people. He cannot be saying that. But what they can do is have the same mind which is theirs in Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being born in human likeness, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. This was what Paul, interpreting this moment, Paul interpreting this act, Jesus act says this is the mind he was giving receiving the mind of Christ receiving the attitude the outlook of Christ this is a gift of the Holy Spirit that unravels the work of Satan this is what undoes the deep story that Satan gave to us and that we swallowed and took in uh, echoing John Milton in Paradise Lost, which we looked at earlier, George MacDonald in the 19th century wrote, you're going to want to track with this, the one principle of hell is, I am my own. I am my own king and my own subject. I am the center from which go out my thoughts. I am the object 
and the end of my thoughts. Back upon me as the Alpha and Omega of life. My thoughts return. My own glory is and ought to be my chief care. My ambition to gather regards of men to the one center, myself. My pleasure is my pleasure. My kingdom is as many as I can bring to acknowledge my greatness over them. My judgment is the faultless rule of things. My judgment is the faultless rule of things. My right is whatever I desire. The more I am all in all to myself, the greater I am. So to summarize that succinctly, the mindset of rebellion is I am my own. And this Jesus offers to replace. This Jesus shows how to replace. So at the same moment, at the same time that he's pointing to healing and salvation that he's about to bring about, he not only speaks the mindset, he shows it. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. We're given back the first Adam's original gift, the bad deal that we made. We're given back the original gift. I am not my own. I am a gift from God to God, from him to himself. I was made to serve and glorify God. And the way that I can assuredly live out Live out his design. Embrace the mindset that he's given. This mindset of glorifying him and serving is to do as Jesus has done. To follow as he has done. Though he was God Almighty made flesh, he humbled himself. He set aside his rights. He set aside his honor. He set aside his dignity. That's the undoing of the satanic scheme. It runs straight against it. Truly, I am not my own king. I am not my own. Knowing, honoring, enjoying the Lord, that is my chief end. To honor him with, with all that I have, with all that I am, to honor him with everything that he's put into my hands, that ought to be my chief study, my chief interest. How can I do the best with what he's given me that he might be honored? And do you see that, how, how wonderfully that doesn't mean being passive. It means being an active, diligent servant. It means making money, being good in your job, learning skills. It means being profitable, being a great contributing member to society. That you might offer all that back to him in his honor. To grow, to enrich all that he's given you. That's honoring to him. That we might give it back. <laughs>
to be a good husband, to be a good father, to be a good wife, to be a good mother. Because these roles are gifts that he's given. To be a good friend. To be a good member of an extended family. These are gifts from him. They can honor him. And there in the upper room, Jesus gave them a context for living this mindset, his mindset. The context is the church. In verse 34, he commands what he has shown them. Based on what I've just done, a new commandment I give you that you guys and you ladies who are here serving and hearing this teaching as well, that you guys all love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. Just as I have done to you, you also ought to do for one another. And by this, people will know you are my disciples. You will look like God. You'll look like Jesus Christ if you have love for one another. And later that evening, he would tell them that he would give them his own spirit to give them the power to do it because they can't. He would give them the power to have complete unity. And he prayed that they would be one. But framing it all is this image he gave of how to live that mindset. Humility. Instead of I am my own, he replaces it with I belong to the Lord and I belong to those who he's given to me. I belong to all those he has adopted. Well, there's one more area that the Lord Jesus confronts. Here in this moment. In the last five years or so, I and probably you have also noticed a trend among Christians. And it follows a wider social trend of withdrawing from relationship. And in particular, withdrawing from relationship with the body of Christ. So the cultural trend is to seek happiness and to seek affirmation of my pleasure, of my delight, of my desire, and to withdraw from those who have a different perspective. Just cut off relationship. I just don't want to hear it. Avoid people who are difficult. In the church, so that, that's the wider trend. In the church, it takes the form of only giving time to people who will say the kinds of things we like to hear. Who, whose perspectives line up with ours. Who have ordered their values and priorities in the same order. So I'm not just saying having all the same values and priorities. We're given those from God. But we order them in differently. We want those who will order them just as we do. And if we find otherwise, or if we find they might potentially vote differently, it's time to withdraw. It's time to cut off relationship. It sounds an awful lot like George McDonald's hell. My judgment is the faultless rule of things, he said. My right is what I desire. 
The more I am all in all to myself, the greater I am. I can't get past that. My judgment is the faultless rule of things. To that tendency that comes from the way of darkness and which our, our enemy is steadily assaulting us with, even today, the Lord has shown us this. When the mindset of the Lord Jesus rules, when we humble ourselves, when we let the Lord be Lord, when we aim to love one another, we will end up washing the feet of a Judas or two. Judas is present for the washing of the feet. Jesus knows he's going to betray him. He knowingly puts his hands on his betrayer's filthy feet. When we aim to love one another, when we follow in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus, we're going to wash a Judas now and then. We're going to wash people who will betray us. Self-protection can't be our chief care. It can be a care. It can't be the chief one. Because we're in the Lord's hands. You think he doesn't know about all that? We're in the Lord's hands. So yes, to love at all is risk. To, to love at all means vulnerability. To love in the household of God to love people like ourselves is to risk. To love people who are being remade. People who are still carrying wounds and burdens and confusion, still carrying hostility from years and years gone by. Hostility you have nothing to do with and yet it sloshes on you. There is a lot of sickness but Jesus knowingly washed his betrayer's feet. So it's, it's ours at least to care for redeemed but struggling brothers and sisters. I don't mean, and the scripture, the New Testament is full of incidences where there, there are consequences, consequences for sin. There is exclusion. It does happen. But if you end up lovingly serving a Judas, then you've looked a little bit more like Jesus. You've resembled your Lord. If there have been consequences for you, for the care you've given. You've looked more like Jesus. And there are rewards, good rewards, sweet, eternal rewards when we follow in the ways of Jesus. I am not my own. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Let the truth 
Let the truth of the Lord's care for you, of his adoption, of his willingness and his action of washing, let that be your outlook. Lord, we ask, we ask for your help that you'd give us willingness to let you put your hands on us and do cleansing work. We ask for the help of your Holy Spirit to love those who are difficult for us. To stay in, not to withdraw, even when what we want to do, self-protection calls us to withdraw. Lord, would you give us courage to trust you and trust you with our lives? And we ask for the power of your love in Jesus' name.